1: You're listening to the Positively Trek podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We can't do the show without you. And we can't do it without our patrons on Patreon, including Carl Morris, Joyce Marin, Jim Stoffel, and Dave Garcia. So if you would like to also contribute to the show, go to patreon.com slash positively track you'll get early access to episodes exclusive content shout outs and associate producer credits are available as well so again thank you so much and let's get on with the show
2: here he is your majesty mother if you're planning on tricking me into intercourse think again the only lady i love is two decks tall and pump full of dilithium Here we go, folks. Episode seven of season two of Star Trek Lower Decks. I'm one of your hosts for the Positively Trek Lower Decks review show, Dan Gunther. And with me as he is every week is the wonderful, the intelligent, the erudite, the terrific Bruce Gibson. Bruce, how's it going today?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm doing
2: great. I have to live up to all of that now. (laughs) You do. You constantly do. So I, no worries on that count. Okay, good. Well, we're talking about, like I said, episode seven of season two, and the episode is called Where Pleasant Fountains Lie, which is where I want to start this title, continuing the Star Trek tradition of Shakespearean titles, which I really love. Uh, Where Pleasant Fountains Lie. I'm wondering, Bruce, do you know where that title comes from?
1: I'm going to say from Shakespeare.
2: You are (laughs) correct. But I'm going to say, gosh, I don't know. It's actually from his poem, Venus and Adonis. And... You want to hear some racy Shakespeare. If you'd know this title in the context of the quote that it's from, you would know what this episode's going to be about, and you would know to expect some raciness. Because I've got the quote here, and it's it's one of those Shakespearean things that, like, when I read it, I do have to fan myself a little bit because there's some there's some stuff in this poem. Well,
1: see now I'm really interested to have you read that to us.
2: All right. Well, this is the moment where my my English teacher persona gets to come out, and I'm, and I'm so happy about this. Dang. So uh, here here's the quote where it's, fr- where it's from, and this is, um, I believe, Venus speaking here. Fondling, she saith, since I have hemmed thee here, within the circuit of this ivory pale, I'll be a park, and thou shalt be my dear. Feed where thou wilt, On mountain or in dale, graze on my lips, and if those hills be dry, stray lower where the pleasant fountains lie.
1: Mm, I think my wife said that to me
2: once. (laughs) Dang. (laughs) No, I wish.
1: (laughs) No, No, that was, uh, mm, yeah, quite interesting, Dan. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I didn't read that before. I wasn't familiar with it, and uh, I didn't know what we were in store for, so I appreciate that.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's metaphor, but it's very thinly veiled metaphor. So <laughs> there yes. you go.
1: And now that I think about it, this episode does play like a Shakespearean play.
2: It really does. Yeah, especially we've got the you know medieval type stuff in here as well. So it's it's really fitting with that theme. I'm gonna say it right out at the beginning here. I loved this episode. This was actually one of my favorite episodes of the entire series. There's so much going on here. We got a focus on Billups, who's been one of my favorite characters, kind of a minor background character, the chief engineer, but never really focused on up till this point. I think my favorite episode last season was probably the one where he was focused on most, crisis point. But this one we get a real story here with the in- the introduction basically of who I would see as the Loxana Troy of this series, the meddling mother who apparently visits quite often. She does remind me of Loxana Troy. Uh,
1: I did have those thoughts too. Billups and that whole family thing, never,
2: ever, ever would I have ever expected that to be his backstory. Right? So yeah, he's apparently the heir apparent to the kingdom of this planet. That is, that has been settled by Renfair types, as they say in the episode, and they've modeled their entire society on, think of it as basically like medieval times at the Excalib- Excalibur Hotel in Vegas or something like that. Like, that's what this felt like to me, but uh, it's a lot of fun. I love this whole society. I'd love to check it out and and hang out there for a bit. And, you know, Billups says he doesn't want to be the, the prince. He doesn't want to be the king. He doesn't want to inherit the throne. He doesn't want a palace with dragons as pets and all the mutton he can eat. He would rather be an engineer. And I don't know. I got to say, a palace with dragons and all the mutton I could eat. That doesn't sound too bad to me. (laughs) No, I guess the grass always looks greener on the other side. But anyway, I, yeah, it's,
1: again, I just think it's so funny because we haven't known that much about this character. And he just seems like a basic guy. You know, nothing all that interesting. But then we find out that he's from royalty and not just that, but from like you're saying dragons and things like all this medieval stuff. And it's like, he's like, was he a king or a prince or something?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's the crown prince. The and crown prince. in order to claim his throne, he needs to lose his virginity. That's that's what his mother is trying to get him to do, basically. <laughs> Wasn't Luoxana Troy doing that with Deanna? (laughs) This is, yeah, this is exactly the point that I made last night. Yeah, it's kind of in a more roundabout way. You know, she just wants her to get married, in quote marks. But yeah, it feels like their end goals are pretty much the same. (laughs) First of all, I'm not surprised that Bellops is a virgin.
1: So I don't, that part doesn't surprise me for whatever reason. (laughs) But the fact that now he doesn't even want to lose his virginity is a whole other thing. And that his family's pushing him to do it. It's just hilarious.
2: Well, it's really fitting with his background that we've known so far. I mean, obviously, who could guess that he'd have this like kind of royal lineage or anything like that. But I'm thinking back to the very first episode of Lower Decks before we'd even really met Billups. But Ensign Barnes told Ensign Rutherford about Billups that knowing how to talk to women is kind of that guy's final frontier. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, he's always been awkward around the opposite sex, apparently. So, you know, now we know why.
1: (laughs) And when I see him, he doesn't have a royal mustache, you know, it's very Magnum P.I. to me.
2: Uh, I kind of like it. it. It kind of fit. Like when they, so there's the scene in the ready room where they're slowly like putting all the accoutrements on him to make him more kingly. And I'm like, actually, yeah, the the mustache kind of fits. Like especially when they slick his hair back and he look, he looks a little bit more kingly at that point.
1: But then you have the guy that has like the more, uh, Errol Flynn type mustache. You know, mm-hmm. it looks more like. Yes, a medieval knight with his mustache, and he's going to take his sword and fight, and
2: whatever. Definitely a look to him here, and he's giving Billups quite a few looks in this episode too, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that whole story. I should kind of talk about the very beginning, where basically they're removing a sentient computer from this planet and this, this evil computer called Agimus. And it's responsible for manipulating the society to fight a war and all this stuff. But uh, at least we didn't, you know, worship the supernatural or anything like that. (laughs) Now, of course, the biggest thing with regards to this computer is he is played by none other than Jeffrey Combs returning to star Trek as this evil computer. Bruce, how did you feel hearing Jeffrey Combs, Weyoon, Shran, Brunt, all these famous characters, uh, this voice coming from this computer?
1: It was a humorous moment because when I went to play the episode, I knew Jeffrey Combs was coming up on an episode, but I, I wasn't thinking at the time when I started playing this episode, oh, this is the one that he's in. But as soon as I heard his voice, I'm like, oh, there he is. There's Jeffrey Combs. I mean, right away, noticed it immediately. And I thought he's got to be one of these guys now. We have to fit him into every new Star Trek going forward in some manner.
2: I hope so. I would love, I'm so happy to get him back here on Lower Decks, but I would absolutely love to see him back in live action Star Trek at some point. I'm not saying this is any kind of lesser thing or anything like that. He does a really great job here in this episode, and I'm so happy to have him here, but uh, we need him in, a, in prosthetic makeup as some alien in, on screen in Star Trek again.
1: Yeah, because we never saw him in Discovery, right? No, not yet. So that's the thing, because he's been in so much Star Trek. It just makes sense that you have to fit him into every, sh- every uh, series at least once, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we have to get him in
2: Discovery. We have to somehow get him in Picard and just keep going and going. Definitely. And then, you know, they need to do another remaster of the original series and just put him in the background as an Andorian walking by or something like that.
1: <laughs> yes. He was never in TNG, was he? No, no, he he wasn't. Okay, so no,
2: never in TNG. He was apparently up for the role of Riker alongside Jonathan Frakes. I've heard that. All right,
1: so we'll have to superimpose him in TNG, the original series, the animated
2: series. (laughs) Just keep. Oh, there we go. Yeah, TAS. (laughs) We got to get him in there as well, and all the movies. (laughs) So apparently, they're going to transport this Adjamus computer to the daystrom institute back on earth and mariner gets the duty to do that meanwhile boimler he's proudly brandishing a phaser rifle because he has duty to wrangle large centipedes on a planet called dansk apparently but he gets last minute change of orders and has to accompany mariner with ajumus to the daystrom institute which he's not exactly happy about he was excited to you know, get his hands dirty doing wet work like he says he did on the Titan. But now he's reassigned and goes with Mariner and they're taking him. They encounter an anomaly and crash on a planet. Like I said, I love this episode, but this kind of clash between Mariner and Boimler At first, when I'm watching this, I'm thinking this again, we've got them bickering and arguing and fighting again. Is this really where the episode's going here?
1: Well, that kind of sounds like my life. (laughs) Well, no, I'm I'm just saying it's like people that I've known that would bicker and argue and then they're getting along and then they start again. Like, really? Are we going there again? (laughs) That's kind of what it reminds me of.
2: I did have that thought, but as the episode goes on and we get the kind of twist in that story, which we'll get to, I'm feeling a lot better about this, but up until that point, we have them on this planet and clearly this Agimus computer keeps trying to get access to a network, keeps trying to get control over some sort of network so it can gain power, obviously, and it seems to be working on Boimler. Boimler says, well, we do need it. Maybe we can use it to power up this ship. And Mariner's like, are you crazy? We can't do that. It's just trying to, it's trying to pit us against each other, all this stuff. And this kind of rivalry keeps building up. Like I said, I'm kind of getting a little annoyed by it that, you know, haven't we covered this ground before, but... We do get the twist, which I do have to admit, I did see coming. It turns out that Boimler was playing the computer this whole time and didn't actually give it the power it wanted. It was just playing along and pretending to fight with Mariner. And during this, we also get the revelation, which actually annoyed me, that Mariner did get Boimler reassigned from the mission that he wanted to go on onto this mission. I love Boimler in this episode. I think he does an amazing job here of carrying out his duty and and making this computer believe that he's on his side. But Mariner, I have to say, disappointed me a bit this week.
1: Yeah, I have to agree with that. I mean, she's, I think, looking out for the best interest of Boimler. But Boimler finds out from this computer about what really happened and was upset about it. But he didn't really seem to stay upset even at the end. Like, you know, you should have trusted me. You know, Mm -hmm. and just really showed her, it's like, I can handle these things.
2: I do love that moment. And I talked a little bit about this in the live show on my YouTube channel with Brandy. The fact that Boimler sees this recording of Mariner getting him reassigned, showing she doesn't believe him capable of a tougher assignment and convincing Commander Ransom that he's not capable. Like that had to have made him upset and angry and bothered. But at the same time, in that moment... He's making the plan to turn the tables on Ajimus by pretending to be so angry at Mariner that he ends up stunning her and taking the computer and, and making it look like he's on his side, which I'm like, that takes a ton of character to see that, to probably be actually upset, but at the same time realize, hey, I can use this to get us out of here and trick this computer in this moment to be able to kind of overcome those hurt feelings, to be able to execute that plan and just use that in the execution of that plan. I thought that was brilliant.
1: Yeah. I'm glad you said that because as I'm thinking through it and I said, I'm surprised he's not still mad at her, but he proved her wrong. He doesn't really have to stay mad at her because he's showing her and he proved to her that he is capable of doing these things. And Because she didn't trust him, you know, that he could handle the other mission, and he found out in the way that he did, he used it to his advantage. So, in a sense, she gave him that gift that he could then use it against the computer and against her, and then at the end prove them both wrong, that he does know what he's doing. It was kind of like a good thing that it happened, because he got to prove to Mariner that, you know, I am capable— as you can see and and he's having a proud moment, so what she did before, maybe not isn't that important now, because maybe now she will trust him that he can handle those bigger missions
2: yeah and i I sincerely hope that Mariner has learned that lesson going forward that Boimler does have the big boy pants on, basically that he can handle some of these tougher assignments and be a good Starfleet officer because, yeah, I was really disappointed in Mariner when we found out that she, you know, convinced Commander Ransom that Boimler couldn't handle it. Like, I know that her heart was in the right place. She was looking out for him and she really honestly felt that he couldn't handle it. But I really hope that she now realizes that he can. And we won't see that kind of manipulative side, that kind of almost parenting of him that I think at this point is not needed. Like Boimler has proven he may not be able to climb a vine all that well and not hurt himself, but you know, he can handle this work. Like I said, I really hope Mariner takes that lesson to heart going forward.
1: And I hope that she makes it up to him. Like there's a follow up to this in the next episode or two is what I'm hoping that he even says, Hey, you know, you made me look bad in front of ransom that you, what you said to him. And you know, you got to help me prove to him that I am capable, you know, and that there's follow through. Now she's now like, let's say the next episode or two is her trying to help him further his career and, and try to make up for the mistakes that she made and not trusting him. And now she's going to show and maybe she tries too hard. And he's like, now you're trying too hard to make me look good. (laughs) whatever. You know, it's this back and forth.
2: Yeah. I do have to say, I love the character growth in this show. Like if we compare season one Boimler to season two Boimler, The fact that in a couple episodes in a row now, he's shown himself really capable to be able to handle these situations and stuff. Whereas season one, I keep thinking back to the episode where he and Mariner... Are on that planet, and you know, there's the encounter with the Ferengi that turns out to be Mariner's friend. That whole thing where he was so discouraged that he couldn't do these things and and wasn't as capable as Mariner to where that where we have it now, where he really is getting to be almost as capable as Mariner herself is. And in this particular episode, Mariner doesn't clue in. You know, Boimler does execute this plan and mariner's the one that kind of has to catch up a little bit at the end which was a nice little turn of the tables that she wasn't really aware of what was actually happening but boimler had it all in hand the whole time it's a nice little bit of a character arc that they have here and i think yeah like i said mariner realizes at the end i hope that sticks
1: well his character is growing Like, as you just Mm -hmm. mentioned, from season one to season two, but is Mariner growing? And she's been in Starfleet longer and she's not advancing. What is holding her back?
2: We got a bit of that last season as to why. And I I feel like there's some growth for Mariner in store here as well. I hope so anyway, you know, as she kind of sees the benefits of, of advancement, the people around her and that kind of thing, I feel like that might kind of rub off on her. We haven't really seen that yet, but I feel like that will be something that's going to be explored, or at least I hope so.
1: Yeah, it's almost like she's learning to trust others, where she wasn't trusting of others before.
2: Yeah, and we have seen that play out a little bit in other episodes this season, for sure. You know, I think she says to Tendy that she didn't really get to know people around her before because they'd always be promoted and leave her and that kind of thing. So she kind of, Keeps herself a little secret. She said something similar to boimler I think, at one point as well. Yeah, we're seeing that kind of that facade she keeps up cracking a little bit, as she becomes closer with these friends and stuff. So I think that that's a good insight. I think that might be kind of where her character's headed.
1: Yeah, she might be starting to realize, and maybe this is the growth that we are starting to see. She'll start to realize more and more that she should trust in her friends and know that she can trust in them to help her. That. Those trust issues were always the thing that held her back. You know, other people that she served with have maybe moved on into higher roles because they can work together as a team. But because of her trust issues, she never seemed to work well with others. But she's learning from this group of friends that she can work with others and be part of a team and therefore be respected. And then she'll get the promotions that she deserves.
2: Yeah, that could be. As long as she wants those promotions, because, you know, I I still think she's kind of, Not really wanting to, you know, her friends from the Academy are, she's a captain now, right? And she doesn't want to be the first officer. Yeah. She's a tough one to figure out sometimes. I don't know what her ultimate desire really is.
1: Well, that's true. I mean, there are people that don't want to get promoted. Uh, I can just think about a woman I work with at my job who's been there for, I don't know how long. It's been over 30 years, maybe at 35 years or whatever. And at one point she was reporting to me. And I had to make a decision of possibly hiring or promoting someone to a more managerial role. And she was obvious choice. She's been there forever. She knows the insides outs of everything and she gets along with everybody. And she's like, nope, nope. I never want to be promoted. I'm not interested in managing people. I just want to do my job. You know, there's just people who just want that in their life. They don't, the promotion isn't a big deal for them for whatever reason. And maybe that's like Mariner in a sense that for whatever reason, she doesn't want to get beyond where she is. She's perfectly comfortable where she is for whatever reason. I don't know. And hopefully we'll find out more about that.
2: Well, they, uh, like I said, Boimler pulls one over on Ajimus and plugs him into the dimmer switch instead of the navigational controls, which allows him to access his battery and they signal for rescue and they get rescued by uh, some Starfleet officers in a runabout and manage to pack Ajimus away at the Daystrom Institute in what they call the self-aware megalomaniacal computer storage section (laughs) alongside a ton of other computers that are, you know, sentient and believe themselves to be all powerful. And they're going to take over the Federation and Starfleet and all this stuff. I didn't catch this, but somebody did. One of the computers, I did pause it to try and see if any of these computers were familiar in any way. I didn't see anything, but apparently one of the computers does have the CBS logo on it. So... (laughs) There you go. Man, I missed that. (laughs) When I saw that fly by this morning, I was like, I didn't
1: pause it or anything. I was just looking real quick. I'm like, is there some kind of Easter egg here? And I didn't
2: pick up on anything, but okay. Now, yeah, I definitely want to go back and look for the CBS logo. (laughs) For sure. Yeah, me too. Uh, multiple people have seen that, so it's it's definitely there. I, I'd like blue? to go check it out, though. It was apparently blue, yes.
1: I, now that I'm thinking about it, I think I do remember seeing it, it just didn't Hit Me at the moment. <laughs> but now <laughs> I'm remembering that, yeah.
2: Uh, so, yeah, we've got this uh, Jeffrey Combs computer locked up at the Daystrom Institute. I hope we see Jeffrey Combs again. I don't know that we'll see this particular computer again. That might be interesting if that happens, but... Uh, hopefully we do see Jeffrey Combs himself again. I have a funny feeling we will, but I, I have no idea. Well, let's jump back to the other story with Billups and the Hyperions and their whole wanting him to be on the throne of the kingdom. The mother trying to manipulate him into basically having sex. So he's uh, brought on board the Hyperion ship as an engineer because apparently they have engine trouble. And they don't call it a warp drive. I think they call it like the dragon's fire drive or something like that. They have all these different names. They change to make it more sound like magic instead of technology. One of my favorite parts was Rutherford trying to kind of play along. He's like, oh yeah, the elf circuit require," And Billups is like, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. Cuz you're just going to get it wrong. You're just going to
1: embarrass yourself. <laughs> but it's kind of cool to put little nicknames to stuff like that. Make it sound less sciency, more magic. That's kind of fun.
2: Yeah, that's kind of cool, I guess. So, for example, the primary fusion reactor is called the Dragon's Blood Flame. Eventually, Billups realizes there's kind of a deeper problem, and he says they'll have to do. <laughs> this is this is the first slide where I was like, "Whoa!" Uh, Billups says we'll just have to run a full diagnostic from the bottom up, and then one of the royal guards says, "You can run your full diagnostic along my bottom up, my leash." <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I love that line. That was a good one. That was pretty good. I'm watching this going, oh, whoa. <laughs> oh, my. Eventually, Billups does correct the problem and brings everything online. And uh, the captain calls him away in order to, like she says, just give him some a break from his mother if, you know, she's trying to pull all these things. But Billups says, no, actually, she's been really good. And, you know, it's been a really great working relationship. And, you know, he's just been there as an engineer and it's great. But at that moment, there's an explosion, and they look out the window, and they see part of the Hyperion ship is blown away. And apparently, Billups' mother, Queen Polana, has died, along with Rutherford. And that's kind of a big dun-dun-dun moment. And Billups believes now that he has to take the throne. He has a duty to take the throne of his people and that means he's got to do the deed apparently that's that's the planetary law they you know once you do that you become king
1: i'm sorry i'm really confused what's the deed dan (laughs) i'm I'm really
2: not understanding what the deed is well basically he's got to lose his virginity
1: (gasps) oh my goodness but uh, well good for for Billups. It's time he steps up and does his duty and it's a hard job
2: but somebody's got to do it. That's true. You got to maintain a stiff upper lip. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's just um, a hairy upper lip. That's true. His <laughs> his upper lip is rather hairy. He decides like we said to step up and assume the the role of king and in order to do that, he's got to do the deed and he's about to do that. But we find out from Tandy, who is searching for Rutherford and detects his implant that he's still alive and enjoying a feast with the queen who is also very much alive. And this of course was all a big manipulation to get Billups to do what he needs to do to become the king. And Rutherford rushes off to stop him. Now, This is, I gotta say, probably one of the more racy things in Star Trek that I've ever seen. We've got the Royal Guard in Billups' quarters and both members of the Royal Guard, a man and a woman, waiting there on his bed for him. And I don't know if this was a coincidence or if this was planned. Either way, I love it. I'm very impressed. And I tip my hat to Mike McMahon and the creators of Star Trek Lower Decks. The day on which this episode aired was Bi Visibility Day. So (laughs) you want to make bisexuality very visible. There you go. We've got it there. Wow. I didn't know that. It, that didn't show up on my calendar.
1: That's, that's great. Yeah. I have a feeling that was not planned. That's just a coincidence, but yeah, if it was planned, it's genius.
2: <laughs> yeah. And even like, if it was just a coincidence, I don't know, for me, that's, that's even more impressive that they were just like going to do this, not because of some external reason, but because that just was natural for the story. And I really appreciated that. We've got this alongside Mariner's talking about her sexuality a few episodes ago where she says, you know, she's like guys, by babes, by bi guys, binars, NARS, whatever. She listed off a whole bunch of things. And I was like, Oh, that's really cool. And I don't know, like this whole thing in lower decks here with Billups. That's pretty cool. I, it was just nice to see that was just normal kind of thing.
1: Well, it may be normal, but Billups didn't seem all that excited about it, <laughs> but we did see Billups
2: bum. So (laughs) this is true. (laughs) This is true. Yeah, that's true. He doesn't seem that into it, which some people in the live chat last night, pointed out that we may have seen Star Trek representation of asexuality in this instance as well. Maybe he's just not that into any kind of sexuality of of any kind here, which is entirely possible. Uh, It's also possible that it's just been so stigmatized and like something that's been this thing his entire life that he's just really awkward and You know, there's all this pressure and stuff. Either way, I'm feeling bad for Billups in this situation. Like he is not comfortable. It's not something that he's excited about or wants to do. We get Rutherford bursting into the quarters thinking that maybe he's too late, but Billups is in the bathroom, kind of awkward, kind of not really able to perform, but we do get that terrific Rutherford line that. I seriously had to rewind the episode back to before this line because we laughed so hard at this, at what Rutherford says here, that we missed like the next 10, 15 seconds of the episode.
1: And that line is, where's Billups? Did his kingdom come? (laughs) I cracked up. Again, I just watched that part this morning as I was making the bed and I just like fell on the bed laughing. Like that was hilarious (laughs) to me. So good. I mean, that was, oh my gosh. I don't know. That's going to be, I have to say, that's probably my favorite line of all of Lower Decks right now. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty epic. I Yeah. (laughs) But I also like the, was it the queen that said the Royal Guards are trained from birth to skip foreplay?
2: Yes. That was one of my favorite lines too from this episode. That was terrific. It raises a lot of questions that I don't want the answers to. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, my Royal Guards are trained from birth to skip foreplay. Because it's going to happen quick, people. Yeah, right Mm -hmm. into it.
1: Maybe maybe that's what Billups needs, right?
2: That's that's why he can't get into this because he needs that foreplay. Yeah, uh, maybe. But I think the real reason Billups doesn't get into it, we see at the end, right? Where Rutherford is able to convince him that this was all a ruse or not convince him, just tell him. And Billups is like, oh, for crying out loud, of course it is. And he confronts his mother And he says to her, I love Starfleet, okay? And I don't want to live in a castle with pet dragons and all the mutton I can eat. You need to accept that I'll be a virgin for the rest of my life. He loves being an engineer and he doesn't want that to change. And nothing his mother does is going to get in the way of that. Until apparently she actually does die in real life because we know that'll eventually happen. And when that happens, it looks like Billups wants to step up to be the king. So just not right now. You know, he can't do it right now. Well, so yeah, like we said that he's going to be an engineer for the rest of his life. He doesn't want to become the king. And his mother says, well, we'll see about that. So I've got to ask, do you think we're going to see Queen Paulana again? Do you think this is something they're going to revisit? I sure hope so. I I think they will. I mean, maybe not this season, but in
1: the next season, I, I would really hope that they would go back to this at least once more. It's so funny. It's so creative. I'm just thinking about work, you know, and I've worked at different companies with different engineers. And it would be funny to find out that some of those engineers come from royalty like this, you know, because some of them just don't seem, like you know, they just seem like a regular basic guy. Nothing probably all that interesting in their lives or whatever. And then to find something out like this would just blow me away. I mean, it would just be hilarious.
2: Absolutely. For sure. Well, do you have any kind of final thoughts and maybe a rating for the episode where pleasant fountains lie? I think I would like to be Billups now.
1: Uh, (laughs) Well, no, I wouldn't make the same choices Billups has, but (laughs) um, I no, I enjoyed this episode. This is a hard one for me to really rate because like I said, I watched in bits and pieces. So I didn't get to watch it through once, so it felt more like I was watching clips of an episode. But from what I saw, I mean, I was laughing. I did. I thought it was very creative and clever. And I'm just so curious to know what they're going to do with some other character. Like, what are they going to do with Jennifer, for example, that we have never would have imagined, you know, finding out her backstory or some other character like that. So, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this. I would give this one almost a perfect score. But again, I have to watch it all the way through. But I'm going to say a nearly full glass of Virgin Mary that's almost to the rim of the glass.
2: Nice. Excellent. (laughs) Yeah, I like I said, I loved this episode. I think it might be, if not my favorite episode of Lower Decks, one of my favorites, I loved the focus on Billups, who, like I said, is kind of a background character. We haven't got a lot of focus on him, but the fact that, you know, the senior officers of the Cerritos have this stuff going on just as much as like the senior officers of the next generation did, but because the focus is on the lower decks characters, that stuff just becomes background. And we didn't really know that before. I thought that was brilliant. I feel like a a few episodes this season have tried to cram a ton of stuff into an episode. Almost to the bursting point where I feel like it's a bit too much. This episode, I felt like was much better paced. We just had kind of the two stories running in parallel with a lot of adequate time given to each of them and just a nice progression through the stories. Not too frenetic, not too crazy. I love, of course, as always, the kind of in jokes about Star Trek, you know, where Tendi and Rutherford are saying like, oh, I guess there's just sometimes that I'm going to think that you're dead when you're not actually Actually, did. Yep, that's just Starfleet. And as we know from all the other TV shows, that does happen a lot in Star Trek. So, you know, I love those little nods to the Trek tropes and stuff. So I have to give this one, I think, five out of five pieces of black licorice, black, <laughs> which I don't actually mind. You know, licorice is okay. I don't hate it as much as Mariner does. Oh, my gosh. I
1: worked at this company one time where this receptionist had a small bowl of these little triangles, like little tiny triangles of hard candy. And they were black. And we were, some of uh, us were standing around. They We we were like, what is that? And she goes, it's black licorice. And we're like, oh, that's really interesting. She goes, try it. It's really good. I love these. And we all popped in my mouth in our mouths and we were spitting them out it was it was one of the worst things ever and she goes everybody has that reaction when they eat them but i love them i'm like i don't think i've had black licorice since because it was so bad you know it's just yeah that's what just reminded me of by the way this planet also reminded me of, of seti alpha 5 and the botany bay i kept thinking like that's not what this is right And it isn't but Boy, it sure as heck looked like a lot like that uh, Star Trek 2.
2: I had that same reaction as well. I was wondering at first when, you know, they open the hatch and the wind blows by and stuff. And I was like, oh, that looks familiar. But. Yeah, I guess not, but it was evocative of that for sure.
1: Yeah, especially when they got to that ship. It looked like the side door, you know, they were going, I'm like, that's not the Botany Bay, is it? Come on.
2: Well, if you have any thoughts on this episode that you'd like to share with us, please reach out to us. We can be found at PositivelyTrek at gmail.com. You can also reach us on Twitter at positivelytrek. Or our Facebook discussion group, the Positively Trek discussion group. Just search for that. We will let you right in. And if you'd like to help out the show, patreon.com slash positivelytrek. We really appreciate all of our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for helping us bring these episodes to you. Bruce, where can you be found online? I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the
1: underline Rex. And then occasionally on the star wars reports and
2: literary tracks excellent you can find me on twitter at kurtrats k-e-r-t-r-a-t-s youtube.com slash kurtrats productions and anywhere you can find kurtrats or kurtrats 47 that's probably me well thank you all so much for listening this week we'll be back next week with the next new episode of Star Trek Lower Decks. In the meantime, look for our flagship show coming out soon as well. And until then, as always, stay positive.
0: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.